0: morning, family church. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Over the past few many weeks and months, we've been working through the book of John. Before that, uh, we went through a Bible overview and we were in the Psalms before that. I want to take this moment, this morning, and to put a pause on all of that. And I want us to dig around a little bit in our brains this morning. could be a scary, scary thing if I really could dig into your brain this morning, see what we find in there. But I want us to look at where we've been, and I want us to make some conclusions about some of the information we've placed into our theological minds this morning. I hope as believers we have many avenues of intake of God's Word in our life. And so preaching on Sunday morning, coming and listening to the preaching of God's Word is one of those intakes In our day today, we have phones, we have technology, we have access to the Word of God like never before. We can open up our phone and go to a Bible passage, we can click on words and go to the original Greek and the Hebrew, we can look at commentaries right from our phones at the touch of our fingers, we have access to the Word of God. And so I hope this morning that as we're filling our brain with different avenues of God's Word. For example, we have Sunday preaching, which is what you're receiving right now. That's going to go into the box. Core class. We have core classes here at the church. Right now they're going through spiritual disciplines. And so they're about to start another class. They're finishing up a class. There's women's core class. We have core class, 8.45 Sunday morning. Maybe you're receiving a lot of Bible knowledge in core class. Bible reading, your personal Bible reading that you spend time alone with the Lord where you're digging into God's Word. Hopefully you're doing that and it's filling your mind with the Word of God. After we preach on Sunday morning, we have an opportunity here at the church for Connect Groups. And these are men and women and families gathering together in homes throughout the week and they're discussing what's preached on Sunday morning. So in Connect Groups, you have another opportunity to dig into and filter through what you've received on Sunday morning in your connect groups. Other discussions and questions arise in a connect group, and you can discuss those things and really talk those things out in a safe place. So I encourage you, if you're not a part of connect group, to jump in. But if you are, you've been receiving this information over the past few weeks and months, so hopefully it's in here. Reading on our own, how many of us know we need to be better readers? All right, I have two. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, back there. I'll say I need to be a reader, but we need to be reading. We need to be reading. I've, I just read a book recently It talked about the, the importance of reading fictional books as well as nonfiction and understanding that God is creative and has given us an imagination. And so we need to be reading. We need to be filling our minds with things that point us to the Lord, growing in knowledge. I believe as Christians, if we have access to the Word of God, which we do, which is truth, We should be very intellectual. We should be knowledgeable. We should not be ignorant individuals. If we know the Lord, we should be growing in history. We should understand church history. We should understand where we've been as a country, where we are right now, where we're going, how we filter this through the Word of God. So we need to be up to date with these things, and that is through reading. So these are a couple of avenues that I want to take and and see what we've placed in the box in our mind, where we hold theology in our mind over the past few weeks and months. And I want to warn us, because as we fill our mind, let's say you have all of those avenues. When you get in the car, you put on a podcast, and you're listening to other sermons. If you're continuing to fill your mind with God's Word, but you're never stopping and taking a moment to filter through what you put in here, you're just take in and take in and take in. You never have any application and you never have any filtering. You never figure out how all these things fit together in your life. That's a very dangerous thing. And that's where a lot of Christians, I feel, are. is that They just take in and take in and they grab some of that and they grab some of that and they grab some of that and they, that and they turn on the radio. Hey, that sounds good. And they throw that in there and pretty soon they have every type of theological view. Many are wrong, but they're all in their mind and they can just grab and sort through. And and I've heard people say one thing, and in the next sentence after that, say something completely different, theologically. But they think they fit together. That's not how we should be. It can be very, very dangerous. For example, you're, you're flipping through the TV, and you're flipping through channels, and you come to one of those channels that have a TV preacher on, right? And you're listening for a moment because you're spiritual. And so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to something spiritual. It's better than the other thing I was probably going to watch. That's what you're thinking. And, uh, and, then, and then there's something like this that comes on, and, and they're preaching prosperity gospel. That's what, they're, that's what they're preaching. And you go to put it in, in the box, you go to put it in your mind, like, man, that sounds, that sounds good. And there's a problem because it doesn't fit. That should be a good thing. Here's an example. You hear prosperity gospel. It contradicts, hopefully, what you've placed in there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. Let's listen to what it says. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Listen to this next part. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Scripture clearly says godliness is not a means of gain. So when you come across something like this, where it says godliness is a means of gain, these two are are complete opposites of the spectrum. They both shouldn't be in your mind. So what do you do? You go to the Word of God, and this one, you throw away, and you say, I, I don't want that. You don't have to keep thinking on these things. So that's what we should be filtering through in our minds. So that's all about what this morning is about, about multitasking as you're reading and studying the Word of God. Now, I know some of you have a hard time multitasking because I'm in here in worship with you, right? Some of you can't sing and clap at the same time. It's one or the other, and so we're thankful for either one or both, if you can do it. But I just want to encourage us that we all multitask, some more than, more than others, some better than others. But when we're in conversation and somebody says something you don't agree with, you just multitask. You're having a conversation, but you're thinking in your mind, that's not right. That's the same way it should be theologically. So we're going to be predominantly in John chapter 4. So go ahead and turn in God's Word to John chapter 4, and we're going to work backwards from where we have been, where we left off And John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this morning. Now there's a chart that's going to be behind me that I'm going to reference throughout the whole morning, I want to go ahead and give us an update and describe this chart a little bit. So this chart talks about Bible study, how we should be doing Bible study. And it's going to be very simple as we begin, but as we work through the course of this morning, it's going to get more in-depth. So we always begin here in the middle with a single verse. Single verse, it's simple. There's an understanding there. It's a simple understanding. Pretty easy, simple stuff. The rewards aren't that great at the beginning of the circle. But as you move out, it becomes more difficult, but the rewards become even greater in our Bible study. So we're going to work through the neighboring verses, chapter, neighboring chapters, the book, and then the Bible as a whole. So let's begin in the single verse, and we're going to begin in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 50. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 50. Now, anytime someone just shares with you a single Bible verse, you need to be thankful that they're using the Bible, but you also need to be cautious, because Singular Bible verses are very easy to take out of context. We've all heard it happen, right? Don't judge. Scripture says not to judge. But when actually Scripture says we are to judge, especially the fruit. So there's, there's all these things in single verses that we need to make sure we need to be cautious of. So we don't want to stay at the single verse very long, but it's where we have to start. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 50 Just going to grab that single verse and let's take a look at it. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. So with just this one verse, it would be very easy for us to think this man was already a believer. Or he became a believer. And and we see that in the verse. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. So one verse, we're missing a lot of information. So we're going to move next to the neighboring verses, the second part. Neighboring verses. We should always read a single verse in the context of the verses before and the verses afterwards, and it will give us a context. So let's begin in verse 46. Beginning in verse 46, it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Lest you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Here's the verse we looked at. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51. And he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. So we spent a whole sermon just on these verses last week. But now, because we have a context, not just a single verse, we have a context, we actually see this man wasn't a believer before, but now he came to be a believer. He and his family. So one verse actually would have given us the wrong impression, but the context gave us a better understanding. And so one of the conclusions we came to last week And we can come to this morning from looking at the single verse, but also the neighboring verses is the first point of this morning. Jesus is with us in the valleys of life. Jesus is with us in the valleys of life. So I'm trying to show us as we're doing Bible study, as you're spending time with God alone, these are conclusions you should be finding. You don't just find them at church when they're given to you. You're reading scripture and you're reading through the context of scriptures and you're coming to these conclusions yourself. But we also see we also see the gospel shared with the Gentile Roman soldier in John 4. These couple of verses. So there's two things we see. Jesus with us in the valley of life and the gospel shared with the Gentile Roman soldier and his family. So I want us to know... Original chap- or chapters and verses were not in the original writings. These were things added in later to help us find our place, okay? But for our purposes this morning, we're going to be using verses and chapters. So where we're going to go to next is looking at the chapter as a whole. So now we're going to, we're going to zoom out and look at John 4 as a whole. What do we see in John 4? We've seen the verse. We've seen the verses. Now we're going to look at the chapter. Jesus is with us in the valleys of life. We saw that in the verses. Gospel shared with the Gentile Roman soldier. We saw that in the verses. But church, who else was the gospel shared with in John chapter 4? Woman at the well, right? Samaritan woman. So you have chapter 4. Three things have happened in chapter 4. We're just zooming out. We've already been there. Remember, church? Because it's in your box, hopefully. John chapter 4. We've already been there. So we've had... Jesus with us in the valley, Roman soldier coming to faith, and the gospel also shared to a Samaritan woman. That's what we find in the chapter. So what we're going to do next, and this becomes more and more difficult, there's more and more puzzle pieces you have to start thinking of, but the rewards become greater as you move out. We're going to move to the neighboring chapters. The chapters before and after these things. For our purposes, because we haven't moved past John 4, and it's not in the box yet, I'm only going to use John 3 and John 2. But let's look at John 3. So Jesus is with us in the valleys. We've seen Jesus is with this Roman when his son is dying. But Terry, last week, he compared something that happened earlier. Anybody remember what happened earlier? And he said, Jesus is with us in the valleys of life. And he used John 4, the Roman son dying, but Jesus is also with us in what? The celebrations of life, and what chapter did he use to reference that? John 2. Good job, church. Glad this was in here. So, John 2. Now we see Jesus is with us in the valleys of life, which that's really important, right? When you're going through a rough time, you need to know Christ is with you in the rough times of life. But unless you have John 2, you don't see that he's both places at the same time. So John 2 and John 4. Now in John 2 we see Jesus is with us in the celebrations of life, the good times of life. He showed up at the wedding, a celebration. And Jesus is with us on the mountaintops. And Jesus is also with us in the valleys of life. That's the conclusion that we can come to. Jesus is with us both in the valleys of life and life the mountain tops, And it's one thing knowing He's here with us. It's another thing knowing He's here. But it's something altogether knowing that regardless of if I'm in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, Christ is with me now. And you only get it when you begin doing Bible study by comparing Scriptures because Scripture does not contradict. So we're always building Scripture upon Scripture. So we're going to continue widening out, zooming out, Our perspective, because we need to see the intricacies of Scripture, church, verse by verse, but we also need to zoom out and see the context of these things. So what have we seen so far in John 4? The Roman saved, right? And then what happened before that, church? Okay, then the woman saved, Samaritan woman, then what happened next? Jesus is with us in the valleys and... And the celebration. Great. So, now we're going to move to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. We shouldn't even have to turn there, right? Because it should be in there somewhere. Because we went over John chapter 3. So, we're going to be in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now we're going to see someone else who was shared the gospel Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So now we have another character enter in. We've seen the Roman then we've seen the woman at the well. And now in John 3, as we've backed up, now we see that there is someone else, this Jewish teacher, this Jewish teacher. So we need to look at the entire context of the book next. So we're going to go to the book, the entire context of the book of John. We've seen three different people come to faith, or at least have the gospel presented to them. So we're going to look do these events... Because these are just our conclusions right now, right? Do these events fit in the context of the book of John as a whole? So how do you know the book of John as a whole, church? Because we went over it a couple of weeks ago. When we began the series, I gave an overview of the whole book of John. Does anyone remember... There was a singular verse that we gave that gave the context of the whole purpose of the book of John. Anybody remember or know where it's at in your Bible? Great. John 20, verse 30. So this is a theme, and you can write that at the top of John in your Bible. Write John 20, verse 30. I encouraged you guys to do that, so somebody did. So John 20, verse 30. And this is what it says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we see the purpose of John was to actually save individuals, to grow the faith of individuals, It says that all of these things are written so that people may believe in Jesus Christ. So, as we've zoomed out, and we're at the book now, doesn't it line up perfectly what we've seen so far with the purpose of the book? I mean, right out of the gate, John is showing the gospel is available to the Jewish teacher, the gospel is available to the Samaritan woman, and the gospel is available also to the Roman soldier. In just a couple of chapters, the Gospels really spread to everybody exactly what the purpose of the book says. But then it also says, hey, Jesus is going to be with you in the valleys of life and the good times of life. These things build upon one another and they correspond with one another. So I want us to continue and we're going to look at the last step, which is what I believe the most difficult. Because now you're comparing all the books of the Bible to what you find in these verses, in these chapter, the chapters, the book as a whole, and now you're going through all the other books of the Bible. So, I want us to dig in. Can anyone think of a psalm that Terry preached a couple of weeks ago that would correlate with Jesus being in the valleys of life and with us in the mountaintops of life? Can anyone remember a psalm? that Terry preached on, that is in here. I'm not giving you any new information this morning, church. This is stuff you should all have. Anybody remember a psalm that mentions, here's a big hint, valleys. There we go. Psalm 23. Great. You got it right. We're just going to keep going until you got it right. But Psalm 23 should be in there. Let's turn to Psalm 23 and see how what we've stored in our mind, how it relates and builds on what these things are. So Psalms 23. So we've seen Jesus is with us in the valleys of life, and he's also with us on the mountaintops. Let's look at Psalms 23 verse 1. Maybe some of you have already made the connection, because Terry preached on this a couple of weeks or maybe even months ago. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we see green fields, fresh water, places to lie down. It sounds like a mountaintop experience, right? Life is good. Jesus is there. But then we also see, it talks about a valley of death. A dark valley. The valleys of life. But then it says... But I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this scripture, Psalms 23, this book of the Bible, supports what we've seen from the book as a whole, right? And then the neighboring chapters, that Jesus is with us in the celebrations of life, John 2. And then the chapter, John 4, Jesus is with us in the valleys of life, and the verses that show us. So now we've seen other books of the Bible that support what the conclusions are we've came to. So this is really solidifying our Bible study. This is solidifying the truths that we're discovering in Scripture, that we can begin applying this to our lives. But I want us to see that as we bring in more Scripture to the truth we're looking at at the moment, it builds. It should be building. Because most of the time what happens, you bring in other scripture, it sheds light on other characteristics, other attributes of God, other situations that we're facing. For example, Psalms 23 says that Jesus is not just with us in the valley and with us on the mountaintop, but how did we get there? Terry preached on this. How did we get in the valley and to the mountaintop? Our shepherd led us there. Because he's always with us. It says, he leads me. He leads me to these places. He leads me. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He leads us. So now you see, wait a second. He's not just with us in these places. He's actually the one leading us in our life. Jesus is with us and leads us to the valleys of life and to the mountaintops. So as you bring in more Scripture, now you begin to see a clearer, more perspective of what God is trying to teach us in His Word. And this wholly changes the whole thing. Because listen, I can get here easily on my own and think it's all my fault. Or I can get here easily on my own and think it's all my fault. But when I have an aspect of the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, that I would not be in a valley unless it was for the glory of God, and to grow me in my walk? That's hugely different than just understanding, I'm in this big mess and I got here, but Jesus is with me. No, Scripture says that no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man, but God is faithful and he will provide a way out. And that you're in a situation because God has allowed you to be there. And he's not placed you in a situation that you can't handle. So you're in a valley for His glory and His goodness because He has led you. He's allowed you to get there. It says He walks with you there. And He walks with you on the mountaintop. So I hope you see that as we do Bible study, it should not just be looking at one thing at a time, one thing at a time, but we're actually supposed to be comparing and searching what we've already put in our mind. So I want us to continue because we've seen two themes. The first one is Jesus is with us in the valleys and the celebrations. But there's another theme, and this is the gospel being proclaimed, the gospel being shared with individuals. In chapter three, we saw the Jewish teacher given the gospel. In chapter four, we saw the Samaritan woman given the gospel. At the end of chapter four, we saw the Gentile Roman centurion given the gospel. Now I want to ask you, what sermon or was there a passage that I recently preached on where the gospel was shared and it was supposed to be shared to three different individual people groups? And this is more important than what Terry preached on because I did it, right? (laughs) So I'm asking the question for me. I preached recently, months ago, and I'll give you a hint. It was an Acts overview about the gospel and it was the theme key verse for the book of Acts. Anybody remember what the theme key verse was for the book of Acts? It follows the outline for the book of Acts. The outline for the book of Acts says the gospel's first to be shared with who? And then to who? And then, remember? So, Acts chapter what? Where do we find that? Acts 1 8. So I encourage you, turn to Acts and highlight, or write down at the top of your Bible, Acts 1.8. I'm trying to show us why I gave us that verse and how we use it now. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's an outline for the book of Acts. First, the gospel was given in Jerusalem. And then we see it go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth represented Rome. The Roman citizens. The Gentiles. Those pagan people to receive the gospel. So what we see here, and I I have a chart for us this morning. Here's what Jesus did, John 1-4. through John 3, the gospel to a Jewish teacher in Judea. John 4, the gospel to a Samaritan woman and the town. John 4, the gospel to a Roman official and his family. Jesus commanded us and the early church and the apostles in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. You will be my witnesses in Samaria next. And you will be my witnesses in Rome, the ends of the earth. And so we see actually that Jesus walked out And did what he was going to call his early church and his disciples to do. In the same order that he did them in in John. And so at the very beginning of his ministry, he gave the gospel to the Jewish people. And he did it in Judea. And then he gave the gospel to the Samaritans. And then he gave the gospel to the Roman Gentile. And next he told the church, he told the apostles, Do what you've seen me to do. And this leads us to another conclusion that we can make, all stemming from John chapter 4, verse 50, as we do Bible study. John chapter 4, Jesus has already demonstrated for us everything he calls us to do. That's a conclusion we can make. Jesus has already demonstrated for us everything he calls us to do. So Jesus is never going to call us to do something that he himself hasn't first already accomplished. He's not calling us to take the gospel to someone or some people that he hasn't first already taken it. Jesus is not telling us to serve others who are undeserving. Because Jesus has already first served those who are undeserving. He's done it already for us. He gave us the example Jesus can tell us to have patience with our children because Jesus has already demonstrated patience with us. Everything Jesus calls us to do, He's already shown us how to do it in this life. Jesus calls us to love sacrificially because He loved and demonstrated love sacrificially. He calls us to persevere because He persevered. He called us not to live lives for ourselves, but to live for God's glory. And Jesus, during his time here on earth, gave us examples how to love God and place him first in our lives. Church, this is how we should do Bible study. As, as we are thinking and we're reading scripture that we're thinking through, how does this fit with the rest of the theology that I've learned today? Because theology is really three-dimensional. It, it's growing, expanding, up, out, It has depth, and so it's becoming something larger in our lives. As you place more of God's Word in here, you sort it out, you filter it, you organize it, you find it in such a way that you can use it for daily life. Listen, it's what's in here that fuels your feelings. It's this. Your feelings don't fuel your relationship with the Lord. What you know about the Lord and His goodness fuel a lot of that. It fuels... Your actions in life. This, what you have in here, fuels how you worship God. If if you don't know a lot about the Lord, you don't don't have a lot to praise him for. Right? I mean, you don't understand, and, and we've talked about this often, the glory of God but the depths of our sin. If we don't understand how broken we really are as individuals, we don't have a lot to praise God for. If we don't understand that I was running 180 degrees the other direction from God, but he saved me, we don't have a lot to praise God for. If I don't realize Jesus is with me in the valleys of life, but not only that, he allowed me to be here for his glory and my growing up, I don't have a lot to praise God for. So this fuels our worship. It fuels our relationship. This fuels how I treat my wife. This fuels how I raise my children. This fuels why or if I serve at church. This fuels why I give to church if I give. I mean, all of these things flow from theology. So theology is so, so important. So I hope you've learned this morning and have some context about zooming in and zooming out of scriptures and how we're supposed to use these in our daily life for God's glory. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. God, we are so inadequate to read it. How many times we read things and we just gloss over them. We don't even see the treasures before us. How patient you are with us. God, I pray that all of us here continue to intake and receive more of your word. God, may we praise you. God, I thank you where we've been in our Bible study and where we're going. God, help us to see your glory in every one of these passages. God, help us to know what we've learned, what we've placed in our mind is applicable for life. For today, for our marriage, for our job, for our finances, for our feelings. God, all of these things flow from what we know or what we don't know about you. God, so I pray that you help us as we study your word. Holy Spirit, please illuminate our mind. Give us understanding. God, help us in this task of studying your word. God, it is so rich. We can never exhaust all of the truths that you have in your word. I pray that we know how important it is in our life and that we pursue studying to know who you are. God, we thank you for this time. We come to you again in praise for what we do know about you and what you've taught us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.